There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate is a great concern. And what do you want that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Ola lele climatic. Ipimbola bantu. Ezintuene zahamsana nesimso kukukua kwezu. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Climactic, the voice of the people on climate change. Hello listeners, hello Mark. Yes, and this week's interview really takes the voice of the people part seriously, for Mark talks to not one, not two, but three members of the Australian chapter of Al Gore's Climate Reality Project team. Mate, can you tell us how and where you got these three to take time out for a chat? Well, it was actually really easy, which was um, a nice surprise. I met Katie and Chris, uh, the two interns at the Climate Reality Project, at an event uh, here in Melbourne, put on by Climates. That's where I got chatting to them about climate reality, uh, what it is, what they do. And inevitably, because it's me, I started talking to them about podcasts. And we've got a whole (laughs) lot. No surprises there. Not at all. One track mind. (laughs) <laughs> and we have a whole lot of favorites in common, which is really nice. So the bar is set pretty high because we all listen to good shows. Really, this came about so well because Katie organized this whole thing. I can't give her enough props. It wouldn't have happened without her putting in the work. And listeners may know the Climate Reality Project is the group formed by Al Gore following his 2006 game-changing film An Inconvenient Truth. And I can remember taking the kids along to that, Mark. Mm. Were you born? Yeah, just. <laughs> uh, the Global Project was formed to raise awareness and spread the word on the reality of climate change. Yeah, and 12 years on, they're still doing that sterling work. We talked about the early days with these guys, you know, what it was like to be one of the very first climate reality leaders with Marcus. But we talked a lot more about the present and the future of the group. The effort to educate the public about climate change and promote action they're doing every day and really talked a lot about where things stand in Australia right now. Okay, I know folks are dying to hear your interview, Mark, so without any further delay, here's you chatting with Katie, Chris, and Marcus. Wait, 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 Rich. Yep, 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 what's up, Mark? Well, just in case anybody missed it up top or doesn't speak Zulu, (laughs) here's the translation from our excellent intro recorded by Manga. He's one of the guys helping me organize this competition for the University of Melbourne students. Yes. And what he says in his mother tongue of Zulu was, and you may have heard this before, you're listening to Climactic, the voice of the people on climate change. I think he said it a little bit better than you, Mark. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now for the interview. <laughs> I'm sitting down with two of the team and one of the alumni from the Climate Reality Project here in the lovely pod hub of University of Melbourne. Chris, you're a, an intern at Climate Reality Project? Tell yeah, so I've been that. interning with the Climate Reality Project for about four months now. Um, and I'm also doing a Master's of International Relations at Melbourne University. Very good. So I'll get into sort of why Climate Reality, why this group, and, and what that actually means in your day-to-day life as being an intern there. But it's really good to see you're four months in. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's great. I mean, we're great to, as well to have a leader like Lynn Doe as well. Um, she's very inspiring in, in all her work and, and she's great to be around and 
Very good. I think you'll get a promotion for that. Of course. Hold on. Good, <laughs> I good, hope so. <laughs> good job, Chris. Hey, jumping over to Katie here. Katie, you've been with the Climate Reality Project a little bit longer than Chris? Or? No, we actually started on the same day in January, so it's been about four months. I'm also an intern at the Climate Reality Project. Definitely mirror those thoughts. Lindo's a great mentor. Chris is great to work with. We've got a good little team with lots to do. Keeps us busy. Very good. Um, I'm starting off with all the, the high notes and the praise and the positivity yeah, first. Of course. And later on, we can dig into it. And we've got Marcus across the table from me. Marcus, you're a climate reality alumni. Is that the right terminology? Yeah, I guess crusty old veteran would also apply. I did the training in 2006. So I was in the first 150 people trained by Mr. Gore. So 11 years of doing presentations. Wow. So in maybe slightly older millennials terms, you're one of Al Gore's original 150 specimens a la Pokemon a little bit. Actually. Yeah, you're yeah. Talking a little bit about what it actually means to be part of climate reality then, or maybe actually an overview of what climate reality does, because... I've been out in the city today talking to various people, and I say, going to go interview the climate reality people. And they say, who? Of course, we've already mentioned there, we've got the headline figure that started climate reality. Who who started the group, Marcus? Well, Mr. Gore did the first training at his ranch in Nashville, the first 50 people uh, shortly after the release of the film, and then came straight to Australia and did 100 people in Sydney in 2006. So that first training was two days with Mr. Gore and backed up by a couple of scientists, Graham Pierman, former head of atmospheric science at CSIRO, and uh, Ian Lowe, uh, Emeritus Professor of Science from uh, Queensland. I spent two days with them going top to bottom through the science and the presentation and arming us to go out and carry the message to the streets. Of course, this was, as you say, 2006, the the film Inconvenient Truth, which has affected a lot of people. It's been a really persistent theme through these interviews is, you know, what started you on your sustainability journey or your transition to doing something about the climate was his film. So I'm just curious, the way you call him Mr. Gore, was that an an after the training out of respect thing you call him Mr. Gore? Or is it was it Al during the training? Well, that's probably also a product of the fact that at the time when I did the training, he was still, he still had that glow around him of his presidential campaign and still had personal security and all of that. And, uh. and at the time we were instructed, it's Mr. Gore. Since then, it's become a bit more relaxed and everyone calls him Al, but I, out of habit, still call him Mr. Gore. So <laughs> Very good. Uh, that makes complete sense. I, if I was in the room with somebody with Secret Service protection, I would call him Mr. as well. That's just, just a good rule. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> the interns, Katie and Chris, why climate reality? So I guess, I mean, I'm doing this internship as well as part of my degree, and I wanted something that was at the intersection of a lot of international issues, and climate change was one of those ones that kept on popping up throughout my degree. When I heard about Climate Reality Project, I saw an organization that is based in 11 different countries throughout the world and has an immense impact on, on climate change communications and, and leading that movement from the ground up and and for me, it just seemed like the perfect fit. I guess I never really had that much of an upbringing in, in environmental issues, despite the fact that my grandfather was an agricultural scientist. It's For some reason, it just skipped our generation. Um, we're always interested in political issues and just the way in which climate change has an impact in different countries and in different ways for different people as well, whether it's human rights or whether it's the element of cooperation between different countries and even regional groupings such as the EU or ASEAN. It just, for me, it was fascinating. Mm. And I wanted to do something in that space. And here I am. Very good. So rather than sort of a uh, a locally minded environmental group, climate reality really did take all your boxes there. You had the potential to grapple with the reality that we're all facing, that life as we know it is is changing. Yeah. And yet still look at that uh, international picture and, and stay focused on that. And 
as you say, bring in the, the elements of you know, a lot of groups we like to say, or a lot of just people that I've talked to, you know, we say, oh, if we got our local government to care more about this, oh, well, the state government is the problem. Oh, well, the national government's the problem. You're dealing with, as you said, the EU, ASEAN, like these, the transnational agreements. And like, I'm glad someone's paying attention to this stuff. And yeah. it sounds like you're setting yourself up really well for that bright future and kind of leading that path, hopefully. So, Chris, yeah, future Secretary General of the UN or... If only. <laughs> or at least UN Ambassador for Australia, at least. How about you, Katie? What was your interest? So I have a similar story. I was doing my master's degree at United Nations University in Bonn, Germany. I take it all back. It's not Chris, it's you. <laughs> uh, you'll see in a moment. So I was really lucky to do my master's degree there. It's also required to have an internship with my degree. Then I was really lucky I went to COP23, which was in Bonn last year. And I was started doing some research on potential internships, where would I want to work? And for me, I kind of wanted to come out of the UN space just because I'd spent so much time, all of my professors were working with the UN, and I just wanted a different perspective. Also wanted to step back from the very physical geography side, like hard science, and get more into the human relationship with climate change. That's where my main focus is, kind of the human geography, what are the relations between climate change and humans. So then I went to COP and I started talking to Lindo beforehand and she said, oh, well, actually, I'll be in Bonn in three weeks and we can meet at COP. She offered me a position to be an intern and I just thought couldn't turn it down. Had a great time with them, went to a couple of side events that they were putting on. So, yeah, it was great. And here I am, moved to Australia from Germany and loving it. I am definitely the, the mental midget in the room. I got to say that up front. No. no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're still studying. <laughs> well, I can't imagine what you'll be like when you graduate. Probably um, nothing will change, I think. <laughs> we'll still be the don't same people. Don't say that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but you always have to be optimistic about this sort of things and, and thinking about the way in which we can use our degrees and, and mm -hmm. our experience as well to, to have a greater impact. With you guys actually in your studies at the moment, because it seems like every day more and more climate news comes out that our projections are being made redundant almost by the time they're published. By the time a report is done, it's already kind of out of date. Do you feel like the, the situation we're facing, our understanding of it, isn't really keeping up with the reality? And then your studies, of course, are trailing a little behind the academic research. Do you, do you feel like when you graduate, what percentage of that is going to still be relevant to the current situation? That's a great question. All very uncertain, at least for me. I do really like to follow the science, of course, that I've been um, studying, looking at lots of different sources, working primarily with the IPCC reports. But I think with all this information coming out, it can be frightening for people, can get into this mindset of like, well, it's all doom and gloom. There's so much catastrophe. It's going beyond what we can, you know, handle or have solutions for. And I really try and reject that notion and tell people like, okay, there is more science coming out, but that means that people are doing more studies. People are, you know, trying to get the word out. And yeah, I think just rejecting the notion that there's too much science on it or there's just too much catastrophe going on is something we should come away from. Maybe it's a good thing that more things are coming out, more studies. So at least at the end of your studies, you will have learned how to read an IPCC report You've been to COP23. These are experiences that the vast majority of people, myself included, 99.9% .9 of people don't have. We don't have the skill set to actually read an IPCC report and understand what it's saying. That's why me in my very small way, I'm trying to maybe translate some of this stuff, yeah. for, which means interviewing people like you who've actually read the reports, understand what they're saying, and then 
try to make it simple for dummies like me. Marcus, with your you know, going back to 2006, you you've, you'd finished your studies by then. You were a working professional. What got you interested in doing the project? Oh, it was it was absolutely the film. I um I was handed a ticket to the film and went along and just caught me completely by surprise. Hit me between the eyes how significant the issue is and immediately had that sort of epiphany. If this is real, then you know we need to do something right now. And so then learned that uh, Mr. Gore was coming to Australia, applied for the program. And then uh, that, those two days were absolutely life-changing. They were transformative in terms of getting an understanding of the, the reality of the situation and, uh, and going straight out of that room and just on day one, just every single day talking to people about the issue and basically spending every waking minute since then trying to help. And we're 12 years on, which is just a, a crazy kind of check on, on how long we've known about this. I mean, yeah. even going back, it's decades. We learned in the 60s. And I, a common question I have for people, and I normally ask it at the end, maybe this is a good one for, for you yeah. now, is if this situation had been resolved in the 90s, if you looked out the window, everything about society was the same, but we weren't releasing greenhouse gases, global warming effect wasn't in play, what would you have done with your life instead? Or what would you want to be doing? I'd probably still be a conservative libertarian chasing, you know, a bigger paycheck. That's what, that's what I was doing beforehand. Yep, so, so yeah, so that accurately describes you in yeah. 2006. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose on that, around the amount of time that's passed, it's really, having been doing this for, for so long, probably concerns me more than anything is how little progress we've made. And in Australia, and it really is unique to Australia, how far we've actually gone backward. At the time when we started presenting in 2006, I was getting daily requests to do presentations, full two-hour presentations in every area of the community, corporate boardrooms, town halls, got to about 4,000 people in that first year. But since then, it's it's actually uh, it's actually tapered off. The interests tapered off. Those that do request a presentation are asking for half an hour or 15 minutes and you go in there and there's five people in a room that could have held 200 people. And I mean, you look at the, the Lowy Institute runs a poll in Australia. In 2006, two thirds of all Australians said we should do something about climate change. It's serious, even if it costs us money. It then tapered off during the GFC, bottomed out in 2012 at about one third of Australians saying that. So a third of all Australians changed their mind and it's crept back to about 50% of Australians now saying, regardless of the cost, we need to do something which is encouraging, but it's still not where we were in 2006. So that says to me we need to work harder. We've got more work to do. Do you think there's anything about the format of the presentation that maybe needs to be updated for today? Is it is it the message? Because there's another set of, of facts out there. There's a, which, oh my God, that's a phrase that you'll, you'll encounter a lot, and I'm sorry I said it myself. Yeah. Well, here's another set of facts to contradict. Qantas just did a, a poll of, you know, they, they wanted to see what value adds they could add to their products to, to capture this millennial rush for for green and for sustainability. They, they found that 89% of Australians do admit that climate change is occurring and is largely man-made driven. So that that's an encouraging number. Yeah. Do, do you think that's true? I think translating that into action, especially if it hits the hip pocket, is the, is the real challenge, getting people to actually choose where they spend and spend a little bit extra on greener outcomes and that actually converting that into action is is the challenge. To your previous point around keeping the, the content fresh and updated, Mr. Gore does send us regular updates to the slide deck uh, with the latest science and even over that period, the, the, the themes have changed. Initially, it was all about explaining what it is and how we know it's happening. And then as, as, the, as we started to encounter more opposition around the science, really firming up the science with here's how we answer all the questions that we're getting. And then it kind of evolved. And Mr. Gore talks a lot about this around the, the balancing the hope budget 
with the, the fear that, that this can inspire in people. And the message started to shift more to what do we do and where's the encouragement that we, there's a, we've got a shot at this, that we're going to make it. So he's constantly updating the content to fit where you know the global audience is at. Because I, I haven't had the presentation given to me yet. So, I mean, here's an opportunity. You've got an audience of at least one sitting across the table. What are you, what are you doing table. tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just found out. <laughs> where, where would you say the ratio is right now between fear and hope of the current presentation? It's much more on hope. It's much more on the fact that the revolution's coming. You know, there is a transformation coming. It's inevitable now. It's just a matter of how soon can we do it in a timely fashion. And there's a little bit in there too about don't miss the boat on this now because, you know, the shift towards renewables, the, the shift in consumer sentiment that we're seeing now is going to catch a lot of people on the back foot who, who aren't ready. I just listened to a talk last night with the author of Drawdown, how we need to change the accounting metrics that are going into this because if every fossil fuel company burnt their reserves they view as an asset, our planet would resemble Venus more than it would Earth. So that's, that's not an asset if you can't burn it. So one particularly pointed example of the fact that, yeah, a lot of these industries are kind of dead in the water and they don't realize it yet. And we're just taking a break from the interview. I'll just drop in some names here, Rich, to let you know how it's going. We got Patagonia on board. We got Climates on board. We got Friends of the Earth. Is it's that all? really well. <laughs> <laughs> And just explain to the listeners a little bit about it. So it's a competition to find the next future climate change communicator rock star. We right, need so no, more no pressure, more... no pressure. Yeah. No, no, not at all, not at all. We really need students who know the academics and the facts and the figures mm. and the science to get a lot better at telling us how serious this stuff is and why we need yep. to start taking action right now. So this is for all the students out there who care about this stuff. This is your chance to, to shine, use our microphone, get out in front of people. And we really want to put you in the spotlight and get you out there. Fantastic. And where do they go, Mark? Climactic.fm slash competition. So it's quite interesting that within the name of Climate Reality itself, because Climate Reality is not the full name of the group, it is the Climate Reality Project. So projects, and correct me if I'm wrong, students who know a lot more than me, a project has a clear goal in mind and an end date. And when you've done it, you know you've done it. That's what makes it a project. I've been talking to the first friends of Dandenong Creek quite a bit. Their goal for their group is the preservation of that creek forever and definitely just, and that that's an ongoing process. But Climate Reality Project, what's the goal and when do you know when you get there? The, the primary goal is to catalyze action on, on climate change globally as well. So it's not simply about local action, but it's about national action as well. So it's about tapping into the networks and the communities in Australia and, and in America and China and ensuring that they're actually influencing their communities and ensuring that we are generating ambitious action on climate change. Um, I also think, yeah, maybe project isn't the best word to have in the title because I don't think that there is an end goal and then we will just stop. I think it's something that needs to keep going and is an ongoing project, if you will. But I'd say currently right now we are focusing on the Paris Agreement goals and getting each of the 11 countries where there are climate reality project branches uh, to get on board with policymakers, um, get the public involved and make sure that we're hitting those SDGs and Paris Agreement. Very good. Sorry, can you tell me what SDGs are? Uh, sustainable Development Goals. Perfect. So there's 17 of those. I can go into it. 
I know you can. That's great. I just I hate acronyms. I love to get them explained yeah, whenever I can. Sorry about that. I wouldn't be surprised if when Mr. Gore was naming the project, if we didn't think it would take this long. I know a lot of people who signed up in 2006, we signed up for 12 months. We did not think it would take this long to get the message through. You know, we should have, we should have done a lot more by now. Yeah, and I guess in the sense of a project, it's about reassessing who we are as humans and and where we're going. Uh, And it's a personal, a community, a a global project as well about improving society and about making changes so that we have a socially and environmentally just future. And what's great about the Climate Reality Project is that when we are training, we want to look for people from all different communities, all different career trajectories. We want to just make sure that our message is spread throughout every single community culturally and linguistically diverse communities as well, just so that everyone's talking about it and no one's left out. Very good. All right. I see everyone here is fired up to like defend and be passionate about climate reality, and that's really good. So I'm just going to just chuck into devil's advocate mode. Here's a statement for you to disagree with and tell me why it's completely wrong. But when I first heard about Climate Reality Project, I was really excited because I thought the project in the name spoke to a very focused scope. Our goal is to make everyone aware of the reality of the changing climate, that's the project. It's a mass education project. And it's been interesting, Chris, you're telling me it's about advocacy and and catalyzing action. And that's really good. But that's a huge scope. And so how do you know when you're effective? How do you know where to focus? How do you really know when to say no to something because it's outside of your skill set? Climate Reality Project is fundamentally or should be an educational group. Well, I think that it is an educational group, actually. So Neither of us have gone through the training, Chris or myself, but Marcus has, so you can definitely speak to this. But the three days that you go into training with Al Gore and other scientists and people who are part of the Climate Reality Project, they are definitely teaching you a lot of things about the climate crisis, solutions, what's going wrong during those days, and also teaching you how to become a better leader so that you can actually, okay, what do I do with this information? Now I can go out and be a leader in my community with the tools that I've learned from this project. And then they can further educate people that they know in their community as they're doing presentations or showing the film or just talking to people at a dinner party. So I would argue that it's an educational group. That sounds good to me. And I I agree (laughs) with that. Marcus, would you say that that is the the core of their purpose? As long as you couple with the education and taking action, because we do encourage our members to to take action and report back the actions that they're taking. So we, we log all of that. The other great thing about the Climate Reality Project is it does have great relationships with other groups. So I've been on a number of advocacy days to Parliament House and exercises like that in partnership with AYCC and other groups, so collaborating with other groups. So having access to all of those, a couple of things that I would suggest that makes this group uh, really special is that direct access to what's happening at a really high level around the cops and having direct access to Mr Gore's knowledge and experience and messaging. I'll just give you one example. Um, when uh, Donald Trump won the election, and a lot of us started freaking out, going, what, what does this mean for the Paris Agreement? Mr. Gore called a teleconference, and we all dialed in, and he explained to us what that meant straight from the source. Yes. What it meant for the agreement, what it meant, and, and, and how the various groups in the US would respond to Mr. Trump's, uh, you know, statements and proposed actions. And so you, you've got a direct line to, to, you know, what's really happening on a global scale. I can see the value in that massively. That, that is an amazing thing. And I, I was feeling very trepidatious and I had to go sort of 
search out that information to see if President Trump could withdraw from the Paris Accords, what it would take for the U.S. to withdraw. And I was very comforted by the facts, but I had to do a lot of searching and scrambling around myself to find that. How good a job would you say that climate reality does about disseminating that information beyond the the leaders, the fellows? How wide a broadcast platform really does climate reality have, do you think? I think the, the the members of the project have got fantastic networks all right throughout the community at, at all levels of the community. We've got we've got people in media, we've got people in rural areas, we've got people everywhere. And I guess the goal of the project, is, as I'm interpreting it, is to make sure those people have the answers, so that when someone asks them the question, they can answer with the with the truth. That's perfect. Sitting here with two people who'd be, of course, fantastic leaders in this movement now, and definitely going forward in the future once they finish their studies. Are you both planning on doing the training yourselves? Yeah, hopefully at some point down the track. I mean, it's always a challenge. It's a it's an, a training program that takes place three times a year in places as far away as the United States to China. So, uh, I mean, this year there's one coming up in Brazil. Berlin. Berlin. <laughs> Which is actually in June, <laughs> mid-June. <laughs> and then there's also one coming up in August from the 28th to the 30th in Los Angeles. And I have applied to go and will be trained, hopefully, by the end of August this year. So what's the actual application process like for Climate Reality? So it's actually quite simple. There's no fee, so it's free. Uh, It's also free to attend the conference. You just have to pay for accommodation and travel, of course, because it might be in places like Los Angeles, which is quite far from Australia. And you basically just fill out a couple personal things, your name, uh, why do you want to be a Climate Reality leader, maybe attach a CV, and It's pretty simple. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a lottery, but it's a rolling application. So, you know, climate reality team will look at the applications and decide who they think would be a good fit. Very good. I guess the focus as well is not just picking people that are already in environmental action, um, but also people that might just be interested or might have a slight interest in climate change or environment. And from there, trying to find a pathway into that area as well. Yeah, because I assume they're trying to pick from the applicants They're trying to get access through those applicants to people who aren't being reached by this message, right? So you want to take the applicants from areas that otherwise wouldn't hear about it, the the marginal applicants, right? Because you're you're trying to reach silos across society. And that's always a challenge as well. We all live in silos. We all have our networks and often our networks agree with a lot of our views. So at the same time, you can still influence your friends and your family members to go out and influence their people in their community as well. So uh, I think the approach as well has a lot of merit. Something else to add about the trainings, we actually just confirmed that we will be doing a training in Brisbane next year, most likely June 2019. And one thing that our team here in Australia, uh, we really want to focus on inviting people from culturally and linguistically diverse communities. So that will be really looking at these applications and making sure that we're reaching out to people who otherwise haven't been a part of this conversation and are from rural areas and can carry this conversation and spread it across Australia and not just be in Victoria. Very good. So yeah, we want to get a, a broad cross-section of Australia going to this conference and yeah. very exciting it's coming to Australia again. Is this the first time since 2006 it's come back to Australia? No, I, I've been involved in three more summits in that 11-year period. So the latest one was in 2014 in Melbourne. Oh, wow. 
I, I, I was in China during that, so could have used one over there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think there's been training in China. Yeah, there has there been one been. in China. Yeah. 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 Very good. Wow, I just can't get away from you guys. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of one step behind. That's the problem. That's, that's my story, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm honestly, I'm floored to hear the training is free. I was sort of expecting to come in that we it hadn't come up yet, and I was going to be like, so... But what's the cost? So is that, you know, who should, who is this training not right for? You know, what is something else people could do with their time and money that would be maybe more effective for them? But the fact that it's a free training is I'll be applying for Brisbane next year. Great to hear. Um, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I've, I'm already kind of, if I show that I've got somewhat of a reach already and it would just be better to be better armed with the facts, then that might be good. Well, I suppose the other thing you can do if you if you can't make it to the training is to contact the group and ask for a presentation in your community. You know, I've done presentations everywhere from Mensa, the High IQ Society, to RSL clubs, to family living rooms, you, know, you name it. So, so get in touch and we'll find someone in your area. Yeah, this might be a good time to ask you, Marcus, what's been your track record with doing these presentations? I want to ask you about like, you know, what what are some successes? What are some you walked out of and just hung your head in despair? How many presentations have you done roughly over the last oh, 12 God, years? Oh, God, I've, lo- I've lost count. It'd be mm-hmm. over 100. It'd be, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, it, it has, it has tapered off, uh, the, which is, which has been frustrating. The, the level of interest seems to have declined. I don't know if people feel like they're, they've heard enough or, but the, the, the level of engagement that we saw early on, we haven't seen that lately. And that's, and that's unfortunate. And I think that's on all of us to, to help try and turn that around. In terms of standout presentations, did a music festival, had a marquee at a music festival. Wow. Uh, did wow. three presentations a day for two days. And so that, that, that was a highlight. I've got to phrase this carefully. I did want, I did a presentation for News Corp in 2006. At the time, the chairman of News Corp had made statements that he thought climate change was a serious issue and that we should do something about it. Shortly after that, I think that organization realized that their business model was more suited to a different audience, and that was frustrating, that there was an interest there, and then it, it vanished. I mean, I guess so, for me, the, the fact that the interest in the, the presentations might be going down, hopefully is a reflection that people are actually getting on and actually doing something about climate change. And, and you see that everywhere, and from Australia to China as well, and there are a lot of Great examples of communities and, and governments actually getting their act together and making something of climate change, such as in Shenzhen, where they recently replaced 16,000 buses with electric buses. There are solutions and there are things that we can do to make our societies better. The change has started. It's, we're now just in a race, whereas before it was a, a race to get started, which, you know, yeah. I'm not sure exactly how long that took, but definitely longer than the 12 months you originally signed up for. And thank you for all your, your passion, especially, you know, in the many presentations it gave in those first years after doing the training. I think the, the biggest source of hope and the biggest source of energy to constantly re-energize and refocus is the people in the group. You know, you hang out with other people yeah. of goodwill who are all motivated and supporting each other. It's that network of like-minded people that really just keeps you going and pushes you forward and, and encourages you to do more. What does your average day look like? <laughs> Often, like any job, it's responding to emails. You know, that's that's kind of the, the core of any work as well. But I mean, it's a lot of it is thinking of different approaches to figuring out how we can contribute as well. Um, a lot of it's writing grant applications and things like that, and and working alongside the university as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's just developing different ways of providing tools to the climate reality leaders. Yeah, personally, for myself, I am planning an event right now that's projected for mid July. And I'm looking at the intersection of gender equity and climate change and educating women and girls. 
and how that can help lessen emissions and how that's really beneficial for fighting climate change and also empowering young, old women, every all women. It's also how society should be, yeah. right? Yeah, and so it's really great. So we get to do great things at Climate Reality, like fundraising, of course, because we're a nonprofit organization. But we also have the wherewithal to host our own events and help with some communications and get our message out there from our platform too, and not just to our climate reality leaders. So that's been a really great opportunity. Very good. And I, I would highly, highly boost for a climate reality podcast. It'd be absolutely great. That we are thinking about. Yes. So <laughs> maybe this is the debut. We'll see. The, the, <laughs> the humble little seed from yes. which it all starts potentially. So you very subtly and very well snuck in there. Ah, oh, it's great. We get to do lots of fundraising. Yeah, that's not fun, though, is it? Like, it's not fun to go and have to ask for money to do this very important and very good work. Yeah. Um, it's fun when people say yes. Yeah. Like, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Validating. Yeah. yeah, true. We also like, yes, we deserve this. More, please. <laughs> I think it's a good experience. It's definitely humbling. I think we could get a lot more done if there was more money, but I think that's also just the nature of our work. I guess the, just the fact that we're a low-capacity organization means that you do rely a lot more on the human potential and, and individual Ingenuity capacity. And Ingenuity, yeah, just ideas. Opportunities like this, this podcast, it's all human energy and you know, obviously the kindness of University of Melbourne as well. And of Engineer course, yeah. Chris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> But a uh, perfect example, just like-minded people pooling their resources and all pulling together. I'll ask a, a difficult question now. I'll, I'll draw my well of cynicism. I think I've been Please cynical do. enough <laughs> for all of us. It might have been the coffee oh, yeah, before. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You've been one of the most You're hopeful. just hungry. Yeah. You haven't had lunch yet. Down. You can recount successes. That's great. <laughs> if climate reality didn't exist tomorrow, what would change? I'd like to think that I'd still be out there trying to affect my network and my community as well and approaching climate change with hope and with passion as well uh, that I've definitely developed over the last few years. Um, at the same time, climate reality at its core provides, I think, an impetus as well for more change and, and more change now. How about you, Marcus? Oh, well, if it didn't exist tomorrow, I hope I still get to keep all the friends that I've made along the way because you know, I've yeah. made some really fantastic, most of my best, dearest friends now are people from this journey. But I think if it didn't exist tomorrow, we'd probably start it. You know, we'd probably course, yeah. re- we'd probably reform it because there's a need for every different environmental group seems to fill a little niche. Fill, you know, and there's definitely you know a, a, an essential role for this organisation, sort of spanning the aspects of the challenge that it does. Very good. So, twelve years on with your involvement, you still feel it's as vital as ever. Absolutely, and really looking forward to continuing to push it to the next level. Katie. Um, yeah, just piggybacking on both of those comments. Uh, we took your thunder. <laughs> yeah. I think that all the people involved with Climate Reality Project now would still want to be involved with a similar type of organization. So if the Climate Reality Project didn't exist tomorrow, I think that there would be a very similar one. And most of the same people would probably be involved. And that's what I would be getting behind. I think there are a lot of great climate change organizations, some that we work with sometimes, some that have come out from climate reality leaders who would have probably done so without Climate Reality Project. I'm sure climate reality gave them the extra push to do so, but I still think there would be a huge community behind this, definitely. That's right. Yeah. Those are extremely heartening answers, and it's pretty obvious why they are, because if you all said, oh, I'd I'd be fine, but uh, the fact that you all say it is so vital and you'd You'd try your hardest to, to rebuild it, you know, and build it up from scratch again is, is very encouraging. And that does speak to the, the vibrancy of the group you've got. So we've been going for 12 years. What, what, what new blood needs to be brought in to really 
push it back up to the level we need to be like like to get back to the discourse we need for society what what do we need what's the next step for climate reality so i'm from the united states not sure i mentioned that before but you can probably tell by my accent i would love to see someone from the other side of the aisle a conservative politician who maybe hasn't been able to be behind climate change discourse or is interested but just you know has been blocked by a number of things. I think you can all imagine what's going on in the United States right now. That would be really great if they could speak to their constituents and enact some sort of change in a really political way, because it's great having individuals doing stuff on a local level and community level. But I want to see laws change. And I think that goes the same in Australia. I think that we could really use that here as well, getting conservative politicians on board. And then, like I was saying before, we really want to reach out to culturally and linguistically diverse communities. So a lot of the time, yeah, they are left out of this conversation or just not even talking about it in school or they're talking about it in completely different ways. Maybe they don't even know what the phrase climate change means or it means something different to them. So looking at how environmental issues affect them and really trying to get us all on the same page about the discourse so that we can have the same conversations but be on the same page. Yeah, and I think that's essential for Australia as well. We're becoming increasingly diverse and you need to broaden the scope of your communications as well to ensure that you're not just focusing on what environmental issues look like 50 years ago, but what environmental issues will look like in 50 years from now and and ensuring that everyone actually resonates with a lot of the issues that we're talking about. If I could say one thing back to your point, Katie, um, in the next 20 or 30 years, as extreme weather events and and climate driven, like climate change really does kick in and we do have sea level rise and horrific things start happening, the people are going to be most affected are those that have contributed the least to the emissions. They're not from developed countries. So it, it seems very unfair that these people don't even have the chance now because they haven't been reached to have an impact on that, even though they're not contributing to the problem for them being offered the chance to say, when a coal power plant wants to set up in your area or a solar farm does, here's what to look at beyond the the costs. Yeah. Like here, here's all the facts we know. Uh, and to at least afford that, that chance at the information, the seat at the table. I think it's a, that's really powerful what you said. And I, I think you're right. That's that is the next step forward because, and Marcus can speak to this right now, is that it seems like in Australia, we've kind of, we've got the message and we've got the message 10 years ago and we've kind of stopped listening. It's kind of like, we've done what we can here now. There's enough infrastructure and sunk costs and fixed assets, and it's all not going to change fast, especially with the lack of political will here. But yeah, we do need to start speaking to the developing world a lot more. I do, I do think that we all have to take some personal responsibility. The, the the big polluters don't do it for fun. They do it because we pay them. When we get our wallet out, pay our electricity bill, put fuel in our car, that's the incentive for all of this. So I think we're getting closer. We're almost there, but we just need to hit that tipping point where enough consumers are changing their spending patterns, changing their voting patterns based on this issue, and then government and industry will have no choice but to follow. So if you ask me, who would I like to see walk through the door at Climate Reality Project to make a real difference? It would be 2 million people. You know, let's get everybody on board and let's all change our behaviour and force government, force industry to do what's right for all of us. I feel like everyone has taken my answer. So I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still here. Don't worry. Um, I forgot. I guess... Just to change it a little bit, I think teachers, I think that teachers are so important in shaping who we become as adults and as we mature. So I think that teachers, secondary, primary school teachers, university teachers as well, who are interested and passionate 
they're critical and and they should be engaged in this space and they should be engaged in working with their pupils and those around them as well to to prepare the next generation as well so that it's not just a one-off it's not just a a 20-year period where we we push for action on climate change but a longer lasting generational impact on on change very good answer uh, do you know offhand how many secondary or primary school teachers have gone through the training i wouldn't say that it's very many i think that there's a greater representation of academics mm-hmm. at a university or tertiary level but in terms of teachers uh uh, I guess primary, secondary level, not so much. Well, I'm going to push this interview really hard for for Queensland and Brisbane and Please across do. the East Coast because okay. we've got Brisbane coming up next year. So, yep. you heard they, it here first. That's right. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> now, true. I said it, so I got off. Yeah. Hey, wow, we're breaking news. Yeah, this is good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Do you guys have any any final thoughts? Anything you kind of want to get down here? Sort of speaking specifically to why people join groups like you guys. I think that your audience has already probably expressed an interest in environmental issues and climate change. You could just share this with anyone who might be on the fence. Maybe they say, yes, climate change is real. This is happening, but they're not doing anything. I would say the biggest issue are the people in that realm, actually. And share it with family, friends. Also, there are so many individual things you can do. I'm not going to tell everyone to go vegetarian, but it does make a big difference. Just being mindful when you are using any sort of waste, always bring your keep cups around. Yeah, be mindful of the electricity you use. Maybe ride your bike instead of driving your car. Just simple things like that really do make a difference. And if you are just so jazzed up about the Climate Reality Project after listening to this, check out our website so that you can apply for the next training, whichever might work for you. Thanks for listening. I guess if I, if I wanted to hear one thing, uh, it would be, there's been some dark days along the way. There's been It's been a roller coaster. There's been highs where we thought, I thought we'd we'd won, you know, we've got a carbon trading scheme. I've been through several changes of government on this. <laughs> and then six months later, you're like, oh, We've got to keep going. Back to square uh, one. Yeah, back to square one. Yeah. So there's been dark days where, you know, you struggle You struggle for hope. You struggle for the motivation to keep going. And sometimes you get angry. Like, I get really angry sometimes. I'm like, how dare you put profit before well-being of of, of human beings, like, of, of other communities? It's just trying to suppress that anger and, and look for a positive motivation. The thing that keeps me going is compassion. I think if you bring it back to actually thinking about the people that are already losing their homes, already losing their livelihoods, and that's just the beginning. We've got generations to come that are going to pay the price for our inaction. The thing that keeps me going is compassion for other people and thinking about those people who are paying the price for our lifestyle. And compassion is a positive motivator. And I feel if we all reconnect with our compassion for fellow humanity and animals, that's what keeps me going, compassion. I guess for me, I mean, social movements generally don't have a bad connotation as well. It, it's so we're kind of renegating, but I think that it provides a good sense of belonging as well and, and a sense of meaning as well in what you're doing. So it's not as though you're just kind of wandering aimlessly in your lives, but actually contributing in a way that, that helps uh, and, and helps everyone around you as well. Brilliant interview, Mark. Well done.
Lots covered in that. Was there any one standout point for you, though, Rich? Yeah, uh, I love the idea that the Climate Reality Project is beginning to get into our schools by focusing on the training of teachers, and that did come through for me. They're making a real effort to engage with all types of educators within the school system. Yeah, I agree. I think the next generation needs to be fully prepared, and prepared means informed, to deal with the climate crisis, because as we all know, those of us listening to this, we're not doing enough now. And educating teachers is such an important step towards this goal. Agree. I think, Rich, between grounding teachers and climate change facts like we're talking about, and then last week's teaching of kids oral hygiene at school as well, we're developing a bit of an education theme, I think. Yes, yes, definitely. And there's more to come, Mark. Definitely more to come. Well, watch this space then. And we've just got time for a few thank yous. To our producer, Caleb Fidicaro, thank you so much for your help. He's at Hipster Jazzbo on Twitter. Greg Grassi, our amazing composer. Thank you so much for the theme music, Greg. People cannot stop talking about how much they love it. I occasionally listen to it for fun. Is that bad to admit, Rich? Oh, you too, Mark. You oh. too. <laughs> <laughs> We're a terrible pair. All right. You can check Greg out at Chambers on SoundCloud. That's C-H-A-M-B-R-E-S. And I'd like to thank Abigail Hawkins for her amazing artwork. You can catch her at abigailhawkins.com and find out how you can hire her. And to Gretchen Miller, thanks again for your invaluable advice. means a great deal to Mark and I. And you can catch Gretchen's latest work at Prevention Works, a new public health podcast. And Mark, just to sneak in a quick thank you here, if this is okay. Go ahead. A special thank you to Ash at Little Nelly's Cafe in Blaney, New South Wales. Not only the best coffee in Blaney. Maybe even Orange and Bathurst as well. Possibly. But also the most incisive feedback on our episodes. Thanks very much, Ash. And thank you to Chris, Katie, and Marcus at the Hardworking Climate Reality Project for taking the time for this week's interview, particularly to Katie. I I showed up for this with my little recorder expecting to be just in an empty room somewhere, a table if I was lucky, but instead we went to the top floor of the main student building on the University of Melbourne campus and into this gorgeous, newly built, dedicated podcast studio. Fantastic, and I hear that you even had an engineer. Yes, Chris Hatsis, a.k.a. Engineer Chris, the man behind some of the uni's great podcasts, was indeed on the desk, but he was also in my ear, giving me time updates, and I tell you, it, it felt like the real deal. That sounds amazing. And most importantly, thank you all for listening. Have a great week. Aren't podcasts great? You can listen to them on your commute, when you're walking the dog, even when you're brushing your teeth. And speaking of brushing your teeth, thanks again to our friends at Big Little Brush. They want to help you give your toothbrushing routine an ethical upgrade. Just head to biglittlebrush.org slash discount slash climactic. And at checkout, you'll automatically get 10% off a 100% better brush. Big Little Brush. The little brush doing big things. The Climactic Collective. Collective.